Okay, let's see how we go. It's, um, it's, it is a series that we started last week. We're calling Kingdom Culture, um, which is central really to everything that we believe here at Vineyard Church Dungannon. It's, it's how we read the ancient scriptures. We see it through a lens called the Kingdom of God. And uh, it's one thing that shapes, it really does shape everything we do, our philosophy, our thinking, our, our, what we believe in the ancient scriptures, how we form our view of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and how we view the church here today, and how we see the world. And I just encourage you, it's not egotistic, it's just to catch up on that. If you're missing, if you're missing rhythms of being with us on Sundays, for whatever reason, uh, you can pick it up, the podcast, if you use Spotify, iTunes, and all those wonderful things that are available to us nowadays, you can catch up online. We used to have them up on a Sunday afternoon. So I would encourage you to listen to week one, intro one of the Kingdom Culture, and that'll bring you up to speed to where we want to jump into here today. I did promise that I'd take you on a journey through the Old Testament, but I would have you here at three o'clock when I actually started uh, prepping this week. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to talk about the prophet and the kingdom and call today's conversation the good life, and it'll hopefully make sense at the end. There was a prophet in uh, the Old Testament, who was kind of a favorite for the, for the Jewish people. They really loved this guy. The people do have favorite preachers, I'm sure. Yours is probably Michelle. Um, but in that time, they had favorite prophets, and they had favorite, yeah, Old Testament figures and speakers and people who were anointed, called by God. And this guy was a favorite, and that had become apparent in a while too, because he said some stuff that excited their hearts at that time. So he was called Isaiah way, way, way before Jesus Christ of Nazareth ever came on the planet. He talked very specifically about Jesus Christ of Nazareth right up to his coming into the world, how he would minister, and actually his death, burial, and resurrection. So it's quite, quite a character in the Old Testament scripture. So if you have a Bible with you, if you have a phone or a tablet or whatever you're using this day, um, would you turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter um, 65? It's a long chapter. And uh, you, if you're not familiar with this library, these ancient scriptures, there's an index page that'll tell you where to go to right away so you can get straight to that. Um, but just stay there when you get there, 65. And then I'm going to give you some, some of the things that Isaiah said pertaining to this kingdom of God, or as, some, as the writer uh, in Mark tells us, the time to come, this time to come. So he, he talks about this time to come, the kingdom of God. And this is what some of the things that Isaiah promised, that God's salvation would reach the ends of the earth. That's kind of key because in that time, that was, wow, they, they just thought it was going to be for Israel. But here's, here's the prophet telling us that it would go the whole way to Tyrone someday. And here it is. So he was right with that. It would be universal. And this kingdom of God, this eternal life, it would last forever. It wouldn't just be a season of history or a pivotal moment in time. It wouldn't be just one of the many markers in history, but it would be forever. The reign of God would affect man's entire being and the total environment. It wasn't just a ticket into heaven. It would actually save the whole of humanity and not just the, the world, but the actual the cosmos, the actual material of the, the universe itself would be made new again. And any use... This other word that sometimes you see in quaint bungalows uh, with thatched cottages called shalom. Have you seen that? And shalom means peace to us, but it was actually more than just peace. It's more than the absence of war. It's a total well-being of a person, and not just a person, but of a society and a community. And the word just shalom is an absolutely humongous word for us to wrap our heads around, especially in times of pain and times of trouble. So we, we pray for the shalom of God. And he talked about some other things. Listen, this is, this is hundreds and hundreds of millennia ago. He says that there would be the resurrection of the dead. He talks about the joy and the praise of the end times. He talks about all those things. Salvation would bring freedom. He said that are you familiar with this? Maybe you, your ears will pick up on this. This is ancient scripture in Old Testament. Isaiah said, the deaf would hear, the blind would see, the lame would leap, leap like a deer. Anybody familiar with hearing that again? Does that, can you connect it to somebody else? Jesus Christ of Nazareth in Luke 4 when he's in the synagogue, when he takes the ancient scroll, he unrolls it and reads it, and he talks about the year of Jubilee. Does that make sense? It's fitting together, yeah? And then he said that, 
Those who would be imprisoned would be free, set free. We sang about that this morning. In 2019, we sang about captives being set free, the Spirit of God coming on us. And I could go after first, after first from the other prophets, Joel, and into the book of Daniel, and, and right into Exodus even, and taking us right back to the garden. But for sake of time, I just want to talk about this prophet and this King Jesus this morning, if that's okay. So we'll read together Isaiah 65. Are you there? Because I gave you plenty of time this morning. And verse 20. There's a lot in this. And what Isaiah talks a lot about, he talks about judgment and salvation. He talks a lot about joy too and the kingdom of heaven. So this passage, actually in your Bible, I don't know if it is or not, but some of the Bibles nowadays, well, most of the Bibles that are written have little section and paragraphs, and you actually have a little header too. So this part of the paragraph is called the new heaven and the new earth, or I would like to call the kingdom of God. So let me just read Isaiah's picture of what it looks like. He says, never again will there be in it an infant who lives but for a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. Yeah. And he who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. And they will build houses and dwell in them, and they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. How prophetic is they They would plant vineyards, eh? No longer would they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For it's the days of the tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain. Or bear, children, or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be people blessed by the Lord. They and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. The speed of the kingdom. While they are speaking, I will hear. This is a great bedtime reading for your children. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. And the lion will straw like an ox. But dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true. It's given to us in love. I love this. I say, I'm going to try and wrap it up for you. Try and bring some sort of frame around it this morning, if you're staying with me. It's the healing he talks about. We read that. The small passages. We didn't actually read it, but I gave you the small pieces of that, of healing. People walking, people being physically healed. This wasn't spiritual, by the way. This, was, this actually happened in the lifetime of Jesus Physically, people would be healed. Those who were lame, those who were deaf, those who were blind would be healed. Of course, it does also metaphor for spiritual life and everything else. I know that, but it's actually tangible. The gospel is tangible. It's real. It's something that infects every part of our entire being. And so he talked about the healing, the life-giving rule and reign of the Messiah and the kingdom of God, the restoration of the human heart and the re restoration of society at large and the restoration of the cosmos itself, the universe. Uh, so that's what the kingdom of God is, according to the prophet Isaiah. I want to ask you a question. Does that sound good or does that sound good? Does it? It sounds so good, the restoration of the human heart. This broken world being made new, that children wouldn't die as infants and children wouldn't be aborted, that we would live in a free and, and peaceful society. This is the dream of the kingdom, and this is actually the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't ever play down the message of Jesus Christ just to get somebody to say a prayer and get them a ticket into heaven. The gospel is bigger than that, in the sphere and scope. We want to be telling the people in our land and in Tyrone that this gospel is huge and it impacts every area of their life. So on Monday morning, wherever you are, wherever you go, don't go in with a track. If you, if you must, then do that. But go in with something much larger than that. Go in with this message and this vision that all things can be made new and all things would be made new because that is what people want to hear in our society. That's what people need to hear in the workplace. They want to hear the cancer-ridden person needs to hear that there is a resurrection. They need to hear that there is a resurrection. The mother who loses a child or buries a child, which never should happen, the human heart's not designed for death, needs to hear that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that all things are possible. All things are possible. That's the kingdom of God. Now, it's a followers of Jesus Christ, millennium later on the other side of the world here in County Tyrone, based on believing in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and more, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That this is who Isaiah was talking about. Not a king. Not an earthly king or not some sort of revolution. 
man or prophet that was going to be about, but this was about Jesus Christ. We believe that. That's the prophecy. That's, that's all over the New Old Testament. The signposts go straight to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So I would say to you that this book that I love and that you should fall in love with is not a story of history, but it's a story of a person. Everything in this book points to Jesus Christ of Nazareth and his message of the kingdom of heaven, right from Genesis 1 in the garden, right to the end of the book in Revelation. Everything that you read in this book, you'll find a thin line, and you'll find highways and large signposts and small signposts pertaining to Jesus Christ Messiah and his kingdom of heaven. So turn with me to book, the book of Mark. It's my favorite gospel, and I'll tell you why. It's my favorite gospel because I have... Uh, a low tension span, and it is very sharp and pointy, and it's just immediately, it's the words that you're going to pick up if you read through this gospel. You could read it in no time at all. I encourage you to read through it this week. If you are reading it this week, I would get some time, get off Netflix, forget about EastEnders or Corey or whatever your favorite soap is, and uh, go somewhere where you can find some space and read it aloud. Read it outside so you can hear your voice. Read it aloud. Actually, your outside voice. You don't have to go outside. Read it with your outside voice. And, and allow your imagination to run wild with this kingdom of heaven. So it's the beginning. It says here in my Bible, it says, In the beginning of the gospel about who? Jesus Christ. Who was he? Messiah, the anointed one. It is written. Where was it written? In Isaiah the prophet, okay? That's what it is. And he quotes actually first from the prophet Micah. What a beautiful name. And then from the prophet Isaiah. And he says this. He says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. This is what Isaiah is talking about. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Do that, vineyard. Make straight paths for him. Make a way for Jesus in your workplace, wherever you go, in your schools, your pubs, your clubs, wherever you find yourself on a bus to a horrific football match, wherever you find yourself, find a way to talk about the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. Don't worry about the vineyard. I'm okay with that. You don't have to talk about the vineyard, but talk about Jesus and his kingdom. Look down to verse 14 on the same passage. Are we okay? I thought the heat was on. The heat's not on, is it? Somebody touch your radiator. It's not on, is it? Actually, just trying out for a cult leader to see if I can get people to do things. Thanks. First. <laughs> Joke, by the way, if anybody's listening online. Okay, after John was put in prison. <coughs> after John was put in prison. Sorry, down to verse 14. Just a, just a smidgen down, as they say in the Greek. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He said, the time has come. He said... The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. This is one summary. This is one statement. I'm going to make a really big comment here this morning, which could get me in trouble. But I actually believe that this one statement, this one thing, is that if we describe uh, the entire message of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, if you want to know what it's like, was it the message of Jesus? What was the message of Jesus? We ask people, What's the message of Jesus? How do you communicate Jesus Christ of Nazareth? What's the message of Jesus? Is it love? Yeah, but no. Is it social justice? Yes, but no. Was it the poor? Yes, of course it was, but no. Was it freedom? Yes, of course it is, but no. What is the one sentence and the one sentence to describe the entire message of Jesus Christ? And this is a statement I want to make. I believe that from this, everything else is mere commentary. From this one sentence, everything else is mere commentary. You can go back and you can go forward in the ancient book called scriptures, and you'll find everything is commentary to this one statement. The time has come. Now here, dwelling among us in Tyrone, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. This is my favorite subject, if you don't know. I love this subject. We're going to spend time on it. Now, this message would mix, wouldn't mix, this message would make no sense, actually, should I say, without Isaiah, because all of his prophet friends, in fact, Without the entire chunk of the Old Testament, that first century Jew, um, that wouldn't make no sense to them without, without hearing the prophets, without hearing uh, Isaiah and reading about Daniel and other people, great men in, the, in that time. If they didn't hear that, then Jesus saying those words would make no sense. Is that, am I communicating? 
So what would happen is that Jesus, this rabbi, he would stand up in a field or a mountaintop. He would go into a synagogue. Or he would go to the street in a busy marketplace where there's noise and chaos and, and smells and sounds and all that's happening in the marketplace. And he would say, hey, the kingdom of God, it's come near. And it also can be translated, it's arrived, it's arrived, it's arrived. Your heart would be bursting and racing if you were a Jewish male or female in that time. Because you've heard Isaiah, you've heard the stories, story after story. So if you were first century Jew, you knew the Old Testament like the back of your hand. You see, they didn't read. They would go to somebody's house and they would kill And then part of the night, somebody would bring out the ancient scriptures. Actually, they wouldn't bring them out, but they would recite them. It was oracle. They didn't read. Not many um, readers in that time, even in the New Testament, not many readers. And so what would happen is Scripture was taught through the mouth of others, and they would speak out the words of God. And it's a beautiful thing. One of the things that I really treasure about the, actually, I was thinking about it this week, some, two, of my, one of, two of my tribes that, um, that have influenced my life is actually the Breller movement, was it friends out of that, and also the Pentecostal movement. Those two movements are poles apart probably in their theology, but one of the things that, they, 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 um, that I love and admire about them is that they love the ancient scriptures. They quote scripture like you've never seen it. You get a Pentecostal and they're just, boom. Some of it might be a little extreme in the faith line and need to be brought into the now and not yet and all that stuff. And even the brethren, but they quote scripture. They, they'll talk about scripture. They'll say it aloud. Yeah, and I love that, admire that, and I want that for my life and your life too. So they would know they would, if you were to hear Jesus say that, you're saying, great. Now is the time for the restoration of the human heart. Now is the restoration for society at large. This is what they're thinking. Now is the restoration of the cosmos itself. Uh, and we're about to face the resurrection of the dead. And they're thinking, bring it on, bring it on. Let's happen. Let's, let's go, 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 go. They've waited hundreds of years. And then in between that, I've never told you this, but there's been 400 years of silence. Silence. Let's turn the page of your Bible. Swipe the screen. To Mark 4. Mark intentionally illustrates the nature and the intent of Jesus' invitation to come. The time is here. God's rule released through Jesus. Man, it's so good. Brings so much freedom. Uh, and just as you read those first three chapters of the book of Mark, you'll find the immediacy of it. You'll find that it goes very quick. And this is for the first gospel that, that was written, by the way, also. And the good news of Jesus begins to spread. And one of the ways that he taught the good news of the kingdom, or one of the ways that this good news spread, was, was this thing called parables. All right? But what we've made the mistake in the church, I think, of teaching parables, they're sort of they're good stories, right? They're good moral stories. They, they, of course they're good moral stories, but that's not the intent of a parable. The parable is not just some sort of fable or clever um, nuance to give you a moral compass in life and to give you some thoughts for how to live life and, you know, try this and do that sort of positive thinking sort of stuff. It's not that. Actually, let me, let me read Scripture and then I'll, I'll explain what a parable is. Uh, Mark 4, are you there? Verse 30. I'm going to take my light, eyes off the page and read on the screen if you don't mind, just because of the light. Um, it says, again, he said this, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable, listen to that, remember that, what parable shall we use to describe it? So you, you'll, you'll catch up, and you've caught on already, haven't you, what a parable's for? What story will we tell? What should we say about it? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. It's tiny, tiny, tiny. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants, which is big branches and that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word of the message of the kingdom to them as much as they could understand. And sometimes they didn't really understand quite a lot. Which it turns out, not much. So, this is one of the many parables of Jesus. People frequently misread the parables. Parables, as I say, they're not short stories of having a moral lesson. Actually, there is... The, the, the first century Jews had all sorts of expectations of the kingdom. And so what Jesus did is he taught parables. And a parable is to teach you about the kingdom of heaven, that it's now and it's not yet, that it's now and it's eternal. So the reason that Jesus told parables was to explain 
very clearly and very simply, line upon line, to give people into that culture a, a taste of what the kingdom of God is all about, he would teach in parables. Are you with me? So what's a parable? The parable is everything to do with the kingdom of God. It's the teaching of the kingdom of heaven. So the first century Jew had all sorts of expectations of the kingdom of God, what it would be like, and what it would, what, how it would come about. So there's this other guy out there who, please don't buy his books. Please don't go reading his stuff. But I just love this quote. He's a sensationist called John MacArthur. And uh, he doesn't believe in healing or the kingdom come right now at all. He doesn't believe in the supernatural. Uh, but I quite liked his take on this here, how he describes it. So that's the only reason I'm quoting him this morning. He said, he talks about the first century Jesus. As for them, the kingdom had yet had, sorry, clear definitions. It would come in glory. It would come in power. There would be pomp and, and circumstance. There would be great cataclysmic events. There would be a punishment of evil doers. There were, they were looking uh, for the music and the horses and the triumph and the wonder and the glory and the show, the publicity and the, and, and the, re, the really anticipated uh, a blazing display of power and glory and majesty and might as their Messiah established his kingdom. But he goes on to say, but it didn't happen that way. And I would agree it didn't happen that way. And it's easy to see where they got this from. You see, they're reading the prophecies from Isaiah, right? They're reading all that stuff. But then what has happened is they've had, in between reading all this stuff, this is the reality. Generation after generation after generation, they've heard their granny and their great-granny and their great-great-great-granny tell of all the stories of hundreds of years of persecution from the Babylonians. Uh, they oppressed them. They had the, the Medo-Persian Empire. And they were under Alexander the Great and the Greek, just a pain. He was a pain. And then finally, we had Jesus and the Jewish people under the Roman Empire. And this was the empire to end all the empires, okay? So the Jew had had enough. He's had enough of oppression. He's poor. He's broke. He's angry. He is peeved off, really and truly. And so they were looking for the rich. They were looking for the this just this triumphal Messiah who would come with this blazing glory and say, right, I'm here. All the oppression, all the pain, all the opposition, all the political systems, they're all going, this is your Messiah. And what would happen is that they would highlight the prophecies through the Bible. And then they would downplay the sideline or push or ignore any prophecies about the Messiah who would suffer. Do you know who also did that? Do you know what comes out of this sort of thing as a nation of nationalism? Nationalism grows out of this. And uh, in, in fact, if you if you read any of history at all, Hitler actually lived off this stuff. He fed off this stuff. And what Hitler did with the ancient scriptures, that he did away with a weak Messiah, a suffering Messiah, a Lamb of God. And he tore all those things out of the Bible and put his own Bible together because he wanted this triumphal thing. It's just this nationalist thing again. So I would say to you, church, be very careful about anything that's nationalistic. Do you know that Jesus is not a nationalist? Do you know that the kingdom of heaven is not about nationality or nationalism? It's much bigger than that. So let's please get a hold of ourselves and get over ourselves. Uh, we need to hear that in this country. That Jesus was not into nationhoods. Jesus was always about neighborhood. And I can take you right from the law books of Le Leviticus when he promotes and talks about neighborhood and right into the New Testament gospel where he talks about neighborhoods. Be very careful about nationalism. Are you okay? No freedom, no brave heart, baby. Behave yourself. <laughs> so all I want to say, and time is going really fast this morning, my point is that Jesus steps into a world of all sorts of expectations. Are you with me? And you have them, and I have them. The Jews had them. They had expectations, and they were, they were right in some way, but the expectations of Jesus in the kingdom was, it wasn't all going to happen then. They were in so much pain, they were so much brokenness, they were poor and they were battered and they were bruised. So they had this expectation, Lord Jesus, come and save us. Do you feel like that sometimes? I'm sure Carrick Fergus Vineyard feels like that. Come right now, Jesus. Maranatha, come right now. Let the kingdom of God come in its fullness. They had expectations. We have the expectation. We have expectations of Jesus and for Jesus. We put them into our kingdoms, don't we? In our philosophy, in our emotional thinking, in our politics. We have expectations of what we would like Jesus to do. We have expectations for, for our country. And, and, and what, what Jesus has to do is he has to help, and he still has to do it today. He has to help people get past the distorted view 
to the right one reimagining of the kingdom of God. And that's what I feel my call is to the church. Without being arrogant, always being obedient. I feel that Michelle and I's call to the church and Vineyard and here, and, and what we love so much is this gospel of the kingdom. And we believe that it's our job to help you to reimagine, to biblically think and pray and enter and actually more than think, but walk into the invitation that Jesus Christ said, come, the kingdom of heaven is here. That's what we want to do as Vineyard Church Dungannon. Are you okay? So, parables in the kingdom are the same thing. Listen, you're expecting the kingdom of God to come all at once, but actually it's going to come about slowly and surely over a period of time. Ah, doesn't sound cool, does it? Unfortunately. Jesus is saying, what's the kingdom of God? It's like, it will start small, the mustard tree. Start small, it becomes this out of nowhere, Bethlehem. Wow. This illegitimate child. You know when you read the scriptures and they say, this is the son of Joseph, you know what they're actually calling him? Yeah, the B word. That's what they're saying. It starts small. It starts small. But it becomes Significant. And especially in our culture and our age, we, we're not about, we want big things. Like, that's why we're, we're all escapism. Instagram is escapism. Facebook is escapism. You know, all the, the clickbait that's on it, it's all about escapism. We want big, we want, you know, nobody's taking pictures on Instagram of their utility room, are they? Do it tomorrow. Let's start a revolution. Your utility room, the dirty clothes all over the place. Uh, you know, just, well, within reason. Just, let's hashtag... You tell their room, my best life. <laughs> so this is what he's saying. He's meeting their expectations. And so because we want everything spectacular, a lot of it, life isn't amazing, by the way. It really isn't. I didn't know when I was writing this week that circumstances would change in, in people's worlds, and even in the vineyard. But there is a beauty in there. There's a mustard seed that's small. It's ordinary stuff. But as we seed into the kingdom of God, what Jesus is saying, that the kingdom of God is small and it feels insignificant a lot of time, but it will surprise you. Give it enough time. Give it enough seed. Give it enough of your attention, your prayer, your planting. And dig around to protect it. Watch over it, water it, and the weeds will and get the weeds out of it and cultivate it and just wait and see what happens. Just see what happens. A girl might walk up on a Friday night up the hill and say, well, I feel likable. Leave I feel likable. That's a kingdom. Month after month, year after year, season after season, let it grow. Let it grow. Let it grow. If, if you have enough time, then stick at it. Actually, you have time. Give it time is what I want to say. Stick at it. If you're faithful, if you're fruit, then you'll be fruitful. You know, the kingdom of God requires patience. And we talked to our leaders quite a bit about this this last while when we took them away for 24 hours with it all gone from. And the thing that I want to keep um, bringing to the fore is that the, the kingdom of God, the vision of God is a kingdom. The kingdom is future. Therefore, it always requires patience. And if you have, if you have faithfulness, you will always have fruitfulness. If you have faithfulness, you always have fruitfulness. Nobody likes delay, but the kingdom is now and it's not yet. I'll explain in just a minute. So month after month, time, time after time. But the faithfulness of God will always lead to the fruitfulness. You know what? I did something really cool yesterday. I took my first apple off my apple tree. I didn't want to do it all at once because I want to just spend some time this week and to, to harvest it. I think I've got four on it. and uh, I can't tell you how happy it made me. It's just like I planted those trees. I bought them out the Moy Road and I planted them. It was one of the best days of my life. It was a sunny afternoon, a Friday afternoon. I got these things. I got the wee steaks. The man, I'm brilliant going to the shop. Here's where it works in my favor. I haven't a clue about anything hardware. So I try to describe it. And the people in those hardware, they've got, they, they, the, the, this tagline, faithfulness leads to fruitfulness, is really not in their vocabulary or patience. So they get annoyed with a person like me and they say, give it. And then they do it for me. So I say, okay, I like that. So I planted the apple tree, and I've got fruit on it. Oh, uh. 
It's my world. I'm living my best life, not your best life. So, yeah. So we have a phrase in the vineyard. You might be familiar with it or not. It's called the now and the not yet. I don't like it. I want the now. It's of the kingdom of God. It's shorthand for saying that the kingdom of God is now. It's here. It's breaking in through Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection from the dead. The coming of the Spirit, the church. Guys, you are the kingdom of God. You are the people of God. You are the kingdom of God. You're not actually the kingdom of God. You're part of the kingdom of God. You're the vehicle for the kingdom of God to move. The church is not the kingdom. Jesus is not the kingdom. Jesus is the king of the kingdom, and we're part of it. But we're part of it, but it's not all yet come. So we're, we're, we're working, and we're walking, and we're bringing it. You embody the rule and reign of Jesus everywhere you go. I love that. So the kingdom of God is here. It's in our town. It's in our time. But at the same time, it's not yet. It's still the future. It's on the horizon. It's yet to come. And what the theologians call the time between the times. You think these people are nuts, aren't they? The things that they come out with, the time between the times. And now they're not yet. That's what it's all about. What they mean is we live in tension. A tension that doesn't have to be solved. It's weird and it's awkward. Let me just say that. Sometimes it's just crap. Between the first time that he comes, Jesus comes on the face of the planet of this cosmos and this earth that he walks this dusty, dirty road until he returns as a glorious resurrected king to form a new heaven and a new earth. And so what I would say to you, this is a technological term, a technical term this morning, I would encourage you to try and fit it in somewhere in your week just for the crack. It's called the inaugurated eschatology. So somebody says to you, what did you do on Sunday? So you say, well, I didn't go bike riding or I didn't do anything. I was at church. And what were you talking about? And what did you do? Well, the guy, the really smart guy at the front, good looking guy at the front. I should be worried about that. Yeah, shouldn't I? We were talking about inaugurated eschatology actually yesterday. And then with chip pea and curry sauce last night as we watched whatever. And then they'll say, you what? And then you can talk about the inaugurated eschatology. So what it means is inaugurated, think about it, just the word, we just, sounds good, but just means the end goal of human history. Just the end. The end goal is what it's about. It's what it's saying. It's the restoration of the human condition, society at large and the universe at large. So it sounds good, doesn't it? So it's the appointed time of the end. It's all lined up. But there's a long way to go. And we've got to remember mustard seed. But who would have thought, not Julius Caesar, not Plato, not Napoleon, but Jesus Christ of Nazareth would still be the focal point of history today. More books, poets write about him, music, musicians, more songs about him than any other person in history. Who would have thought that 120 people, that's it, in the city of Jerusalem, hiding in an upper room for fear of their lives? Weeks after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But spread all over the world that was known at that time. Three centuries later, according to the historian Rodney Stark, he said 53% of the Roman Empire was practicing the way of Jesus Christ. Following Jesus of Nazareth as Lord. Isn't that cool? I think that's pretty cool. And here we are today, north side of the world. Speaking in English and Lithuanian and all sorts of languages in this small town because it's like a mustard seed. Are you with me? Because it's like a mustard seed. Faithfulness, fruitfulness. Faithfulness, fruitfulness. We're here. So what do we do? What do we do? So let's finish up. Let's try and land at Matthew 6. There's another parable I want to read. Matthew 6, 31. You there? So don't worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear or how am I going to pay the mortgage? What people going to think of me? Does this look all right on me? How long will I be single or whatever? For the pagans, and that's not a derogatory term in any way, it just means people who are not 
followers of Jesus. Run after such these things, run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows about you're His child. He knows that what you need, you're His child, and He's your dad. Listen to this. Here it is. Seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. That righteousness is all about community, and it's corporate actually. It's for the well-being of society, not your personal salvation. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble for itself. He's kind of clever with his words, Jesus, isn't he? It's a bit of sarcasm there. That's, he's being sarcastic. He's being humorous. Tomorrow's good enough worry for itself. So just just don't, don't panic. Don't sweat that. It's so good. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his, and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you soon. Notice what Jesus does. He's smart. He's so intelligent. He compares and contrasts seeking the kingdom of God to run after all these other things. Money, stuff, comfort, my appearance, how I look, my security, and all that there. There's a book written by a guy called James K.A. Smith, and he writes this. To be human, notice the first line here, is to be animated and oriented by some vision of a good life. Of a good life. Let's just pause for a minute. Vision of a good life. We all have it. We all have. We call, we call it the kingdom, not the kingdom. Not the kingdom, but the kingdom. We all have a kingdom in our lives. Because it's not just a vision of our own. We have, an own, we have our own. I guarantee you have your own personal vision of what your garden of Eden would look like for your life. Most of us have a vision of a good life for our society, for the world, how we think, how we think it should be better. And that's a good thing, right? So God has put in, a heart, in the heart of everyone, every woman and child, there's an egg for this world to be better. There's a... There's a cry in the soul of humanity for, for things to be right and society to be a better world. And Isaiah the, and the other prophets and Jesus Christ of Nazareth and the writers of the New Testament, they were tapping into this thing called the kingdom of God. That ache is all of us tapping into this kingdom of God. So Smith goes on to say, to be human is to be animated and oriented by some vision of the good life, some picture of what we think counts as flourishing. Do you want a flourishing life? Flourishing society, flourishing Dungannon. Yeah? Anybody out there? Just me? Good. It's that we, we do long for that. So what he's saying, we all have a vision of a good life. We all have a vision for a good life. You have one, I have one, your wife has one, your spouse has one, your community has one. Dungannon has one, believe it or not. Sometimes it's hard to pull out of it. County Tyrone has one, Northern Ireland has one. Northern Ireland, the people of Northern Ireland are aching for a better tomorrow. And we are the best politics for them. The people of the kingdom. The people of the kingdom is the best politics for this nation. And the king and his peace. And it's righteousness that just doesn't exclude people or it's personal salvation. It's much wider than that. It's a beautiful story and the beautiful imagination of the king for a flourishing world. Christians are always good for society when the vision is the kingdom. Christians are always good for society when the vision is the kingdom. What do you crave? <laughs> Dave Workman, a friend of ours, David used to say to me all the time, what do you feel like? He was American, just in case you think I've lost it on myself. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is saying in Matthew 6 to his disciples, and hopefully that most of us in the room today will get that in our followers of Jesus Christ. I don't assume everybody is there yet. He's saying that, to his apprentices, listen, align your vision of the good life with my vision of the good life. All right? Did I say that right? Align your vision of the good life with my vision of the good life. Because a lot of the time, we're not the same thing, right? Our vision of the good life is not the same vision as Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Or there's an overlap, but not the way. It's not all the way. It has to be Jesus is saying, align your vision of the good life with my vision of the good life. Trust me. Guys, you know what's wrong with Christians when we don't live the good life? We don't trust the Father. What would our word look like? What would your family look like? Ah, here's a big faith statement this morning. What would your individual life, what would your work life, your family life look if you really trusted the ways of Jesus? Like, I mean, trusted everything that Jesus did, how he lived on earth. What if we actually trusted? What if we, what if us pastors, I'm going to talk about me as a leader. 
what if I trusted Jesus' ways were the best ways? And how he did life and how he spent time? Because I might have think. I want to suggest maybe you are too. So what's he saying? He says, make the kingdom of God your aim, the top priority in your life. He knows how you thrive. He knows how you live. He made you, he formed you. So, so the temptation, I think, as a follower of Jesus, just to make the kingdom of God one of our priorities, along with our work, our career, uh, the things that we're passionate about, our exercising life, our whatever life it is, along with our family, our children, our weekends together, uh, along with our image, along with the things that, that they're running, the, the things that you think about in the car. When we, we, have, we have all our priorities, and I just want to say this, just absolutely, yeah, those things matter. Those things matter, but not the priority. The singular most dominant pursuit of your life, and it's a life that every follower of Jesus Christ is called to, is to be an apprentice, and that is to make his kingdom your kingdom. His priority, your priority. His priority, the priority, not the priorities of your own life. Does that make sense? I hope so. So here, let's, let's, let me try and give you something to go home with today. You feel a bit spoiled today? Okay. I feel a bit spoiled, and here's the expression. <laughs> you having a laugh? So Dan, I just want, to th- want you to think about what does it look like for you and me? We all, co- co- I say, we just all quit our jobs tomorrow morning, okay? Just start writing that letter this afternoon. Get your phone out now. We'll quit our jobs. We'll abandon the world, our careers. We'll just read the Bible all the time, and sure, things will be all right. You know, it'll all look after itself at the end of the day. It should be grand. <laughs> or does it mean something else? Look six, sorry, look at Matthew six twenty one, not the book of Luke. Jesus says, For where your treasure is, your heart will also be. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What he means is put he means to invest and leverage your treasure into the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, whatever you do in life. Are you with me? Right, here's the bar. I'm gonna go really fast, take notes, or listen online during the week. So the question is, what exactly does Jesus mean by treasure? Well, I'm gonna give you some really, really quick things, things that come to mind. I would say that actually not money, if you're going there, is the first thing I would say, or time. Time comes to mind. Time, 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 time. One of the most precious commodities we have, at least here in the West, is time. Other people don't have that. You see the luxury of being bored? We don't even have that anymore. Do you, do you ever love being bored? I love being bored now. I think, I'm bored. This is great. Do you not? You ever go into a takeaway, and you're going to takeaway, and you've got a bit of time, and guess what? You forgot your phone. Now, the first thing is you panic, right? Because the world could end at any minute, you know, number 47 or number 27, if you've got them wrong, you could be ending up eating prawns instead of chicken. It could be disastrous, right? Because it's on your phone. Your world could end. Somebody could be looking for you right at that time for those five minutes when you're whatever. So we don't have that, we, we, we don't have that anymore, unfortunately, the luxury of being bored. But it's an easy resource also to waste at the same time. Here's the thing that gets on my goat. Can I just... I'm peeved off of the enemy this week, so there's a bit of an attitude with me, not against you, but the enemy of our soul. I, I wake up in the morning thinking that everybody thinks the same thing as me. I wake up, I'm a frustrated leader and teacher because I think that everybody wakes up in the morning thinking that we want to change the world for the kingdom of God. And we have an image and an imagination of the kingdom of God, how it should be in society. And then I meet people all over the world, Christians here, doing all sorts of things. And I say, what should we do? What should we do? And, 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 and the first thing they say, they'll all say to me, and this seems to be the word of the minute, say no to things. I say, okay, we need to say no to things. But you know what they're saying no to, most of them? It's the things of the kingdom. We're not saying no to sports, or, and I'm not picking on sports. It's just I hate exercising. So, I, <laughs> so I'm just justifying myself, all right? But look, I've got other stuff in my life, you know. I have box sets in my life. And I've wasted hours and months of you tally them up. 
fact, we did, we did a thing with our leaders. We went away for 24 hours. And we, did a th- we, we just did our week. We, did a, we didn't even do a week. We did a day and a week. And we said, track your week. Track your day. What does it look like? And then I did the scariest of all scary things. There's a thing on my phone now that tells me screen time. Have you looked at it? Bet yours is really bad. <laughs> Mine's just okay. Where is it you orient and prioritize your time, your time? Where is it? Because I always say that the stuff, what we do with our time here, if you're patient, you'll see, if you're, if you're faithful, you'll see flourish. And if you're, if you're patient, you'll see the kingdom come. You'll see the small seeds, the birds will come, and people will find healing in the things that we sow into. Are we good? So our time, of course, and our money. I know, I know, I know, I know the dirty M word, our money. But it's, this is not a pitch given the VCD, though I'd love to do one. But guys, can I just say, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and I know things are tough, and you're living in a world, and you're paying mortgage and rent, and you've got commitments to, from past commitments, and we all have that stuff. Can I just ask you, as your pastor, just really boldly this morning, would you give to the mission and vision of Jesus Christ if you call this place your home? Would you start to give strategically and, 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 and a rhythm and a routine that you would do with every, anything else in your life? I've discovered a thing called Monzo. Have you? Monzo. I like it, but I don't like it. It pings. We've got a joint account. It pings straight to Michelle when I spend something. (laughs) Do you know that Michelle's off doing a a theological course in the kingdom? She walked into the co-op in England and she spent £26 on her lunch. (laughs) Who in there spends £26 on their lunch? In co-op in England, it's, it's like inflation. Have I woke up and, and things have changed since Brexit, all this stuff, and bars and craziness? Has, has things really got that expensive? Like, you get a meal deal in Tesco's, there's all our services are provided for three quid. Are you generous towards your community? Are you generous towards others? Are you generous towards the needy? Are you generous towards this town in Dungannon? Are you generous? If you live here, are you generous here? Do you, are you a tourist here or do you actually live here? Because do you know what we do with the money in this place? We don't have a big bank account. No, we give it away. We feed people here every Thursday. We, don't, we, 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 we should maybe get smarter, but we don't bring in a lot of food in from, from other organizations. We actually pay for that food out of our account. We employ people to do that job. We, we send people into your schools to, to help people with literacy, and we, we want to bring on a children's pastor, and you all want a children's pastor, but guess what it costs to bring somebody from Corey into here? I'm going to stop because I could get in a lot of trouble this morning, and I think you're with me this morning, and I don't want to keep you at arm's length. But I just want to say, as your pastor and your friend, guys, let's not talk about family. Let's be family. If you're not doing it, we're not doing it. I, I can no longer sign my name to say, Finyard Church does this. If you're not doing it, we're not doing it. Are we outward-focused? Then we all need to be about it. If you're not doing it, then we're not doing it. A lot of stuff. But it's all good, right? The indicator of what consumes is what consumes your imagination, really. That's all I want to say. I want to finish up with that. What, what is the indicator of where your treasure is? What, where's the light in your imagination? Where's the, you know when you're driving in the car, what consumes your imagination? Can I ask you the question this morning? What is that indicator? What consumes your imagination? What is it that keeps you awake at night? Is it fear, anxiety? Is it status? Is it symbolism? Is it wealth? Is it security? What is it that, that what keeps you up at night? What is it that, that when you're driving in a car, you just can't stop thinking about it? Can you imagine if we could turn that around for a moment, for a day, for a week, for a month, for a year, where our imagination, where the, the, the ignition light in our soul was flashing kingdom of heaven? Mustard seed? Seedness? Seededness? Trying out new words now. Can you imagine the seedness of our life if it was sown into the kingdom of God? Small, but we were faithful, patient, expectant leaning into the future that was full of abundance and promise and goodness, which is the kingdom of heaven. And we remain faithful to that, even though it's not spectacular at times, even though it means showing up, even though it means cleaning up, 
even if it means putting out signs and posts, even if it does mean coming in on a Thursday and talking to people that you don't want to talk to and you would normally associate yourself, let's be honest and real about it. And we give them food and they annoy us. If we're faithful in it and we keep doing it, we keep doing it, and things don't become events like Outward Focus Christmas and crash, and we don't get bored with it, but we're faithful in the abundance of the future that's coming, and it's come, and it's here, and it's near, and it's broken, and it's a reality, and it's not yet all things. But imagine our imagination and the indicator of our light was the kingdom of heaven and we remained faithful and we went left foot, right foot, and we got up in the morning and we saw people differently and we saw people as image bearers of the kingdom and we had this ache in our hearts and a craving in our souls for a better Dungannon and a better Tyrone and a better Northern Ireland and then we get really, really political and a better island. Because God is asking you to love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your neighbor? You know it. You know who it is. Would you stand with me this morning? You have been incredibly kind this morning and patient because that was a lot to take in. I just, I just, uh, yeah, I just want to, do, I, want you, I want you to consecrate your heart this morning. Is that okay if I use that language? Holiness. Use an old language. Just to set your heart again apart and just to check your heart and to the values of your heart. I want you to, I want you to ask yourself, just do an infantry or a stock check or just, or as we sometimes say, have a gym juke. It's your week in your life. And I want you to ask you the question, is that, is my life seed? My time, my gift and my talents, my resources. And please hear me this morning. This is what I am not saying this morning. But I, I communicate every week and I think I'm doing a brilliant job. And then people come up to me saying, oh, Jason says, and I say, uh, uh, uh. I've preached sermons and people come up and say, Jason says, uh, I'm stopped serving because I listened to the message this morning. I'm out for a year. I'm like, here now, come on. Different Jason. You've been on your phone or something. I did not say that. But here's what I'm not saying this morning. I'm not saying that you, your work's not important, right? I want you to hear that. I'm not saying your family is not important. I'm not saying that your recreation and your, your leisure life is not important. I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying is this prioritize the priority, not the priorities. The kingdom, not the kingdoms. All right? We have kingdoms and we have queenness, queendoms in our lives, and you know what they are. So let's just take our infantry, and I want to say one other thing that it's not. The vision this morning of seedness and investment and priority is not Vineyard Church Dungannon. Of course, Vineyard Church Dungannon is a part of that because it's a vehicle, but the vision is the kingdom and the king. When you get that, your automatic response, your natural reaction is to be part of a family called Church of God, to invest and to give, to serve, and to sacrifice. But the vision is not the church growth or Vineyard Church to grow. The vision is that the kingdom grows and expands here, near, and far. Are you with me? Are you with me? The kingdom is the vision, not the vineyard. The kingdom is the vision, not the vineyard. All right? Okay, so let me just pray over this, and then you'll all go have a coffee and, and talk about this some more.